0: Chapter 26 of Mr. Scarborough's Family. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Scarborough's Family by Anthony Trollope. Chapter 26 Marmaduke Lodge. On the seventh of next month, two things occurred each of great importance. Hunting commenced in the Puckeridge country, and Harry, with that famous Mare Belladonna, was there, and Squire Prosper was driven in his carriage into Buntingford, and made his offer with all due formality to Miss Thoroughbung. The whole household, including Matthew, and the cook, and the coachman, and the boy, and the two housemaids, knew what he was going to do. It would be difficult to say how they knew, because he was a man who never told anything. He was the last man in England who, on such a matter, would have made a confidant of his butler. He never spoke to a servant about matters unconnected with their service. He considered that to do so would be altogether against his dignity. Nevertheless, when he ordered his carriage, which he did not do very frequently at this time of the year, when the horses were wanted, on the farm, and of which he gave twenty-four hours notice to all the persons concerned, and when early in the morning he ordered that his Sunday suit should be prepared for wearing, and when his aspect grew more and more serious as the hour drew nigh, it was well understood by them all that he was going to make the offer that day. He was both proud and fearful as to the thing to be done proud that he the squire of buston should be called on to take so important a step proud by anticipation of his feelings as he would return home a jolly thriving wooer and yet a little fearful lest he might not succeed were he to fail the failure would be horrible to him he knew that every man and woman about the place would know all about it among the secrets of the family there was a story never now mentioned, of his having done the same thing once before. He was then a young man, about twenty-five, and he had come forth to lay himself and Buston at the feet of a baronet's daughter, who lived some twenty-five miles off. She was very beautiful, and was said to have a fitting dower, but he had come back and had shut himself up in the house for a week afterward, To no human ears had he ever since spoken of his interview with Miss Courtney. The doings of that day had been wrapped in impenetrable darkness. But all Buston and the neighboring parishes had known that Miss Courtney had refused him. Since that day he had never gone forth again on such a mission. There were those who said of him that his love had been so deep and enduring that he had never got the better of it. Miss Courtney had been married to a much grander lover, and had been taken off to splendid circles. But he had never mentioned her name. That story of his abiding love was thoroughly believed by his sister, who used to tell it of him to his credit, when at the rectory the rector would declare him to be a fool. But the rector used to say that he was dumb from pride, or that he could not bear to have it known that he had failed at anything. At any rate, he had never again attempted love, and had formally declared to his sister that, as he did not intend to marry, Harry should be regarded as his son. Then at last had come the fellowship, and he had been proud of his heir, thinking that in some way he had won the fellowship himself, as he had paid the bills. But now all was altered, and he was to go forth to his wooing again. There had been a rumor about the country that he was already accepted, but such was not the case. He had fluttered about Buntingford thinking of it, but he had never put the question. To his thinking it would not have been becoming to do so without some ceremony. Buston was not to be made away during the turnings of a quadrille, or as a part of an ordinary conversation. It was not probable, nay, it was impossible that he should mention the subject to anyone. But still he must visibly prepare for it, and I think that he was aware that the world around him knew what he was about. And the Thoroughbungs knew, and Miss Matilda Thoroughbung knew well. All Buntingford knew. In those old days in which he had sought the hand of the baronet's daughter, the baronet's daughter and the baronet's wife and the baronet himself had known what was coming, though Mr. Prosper thought that the secret dwelt alone in his own bosom. Nor did he dream now that Harry, and Harry's father, and Harry's mother, and sisters, had all laughed at the conspicuous gravity of his threat. It was the general feeling on the subject which made the rumor current that the deed had been done. But when he came downstairs with one new gray kid glove on, and the other dangling in his hand, nothing had been done. "'Drive to Buntingford,' said the squire. "'Yes, sir,' said Matthew, the door of the carriage in his hand.
1: "'To Marmaduke
0: Lodge.' "'Yes, sir.' Then Matthew told the coachman, who had heard the instructions very plainly, and knew them before he had heard them. The squire threw himself back in the carriage and applied himself to wondering how he should do the deed. He had, in truth, barely studied the words, but not, finally, the manner of delivering them. With his bare hand up to his eyes so that he might hold the glove unsoiled in the other, he devoted his intellect to the task, nor did he withdraw his hand till the carriage turned in at the gate. The drive up to the door of Marmaduke Lodge was very short, and he had barely time to arrange his waistcoat and his whiskers before the carriage stood still. He was soon told that Miss Thoroughbung was at home, and within a moment he found himself absolutely standing on the carpet in her presence. Report had dealt unkindly with Miss Thoroughbung in the matter of her age. Report always does deal unkindly with unmarried young women who have ceased to be girls. There is an idea that they will wish to make themselves out to be younger than they are, and therefore report always makes them older. She had been called forty-five, and even fifty. Her exact age at this moment was forty-two, and as Mr. Prosper was only fifty, there was no discrepancy in the marriage. He would have been young looking for his age, but for an air of ancient dandyism which had grown upon him. He was somewhat dry, too, and skinny, with high cheekbones and large dull eyes but he was clean and grave and orderly, a man promising well to a lady on the lookout for a husband. Miss Thoroughbung was fat, fair, and forty to the letter, and she had a just measure of her own good looks, of which she was not unconscious. But she was specially conscious of twenty-five thousand pounds, the possession of which had hitherto stood in the way of her search after a husband. It was said commonly about Buntingford, that she looked too high, seeing that she was only a thoroughbung and had no more than twenty-five thousand pounds. But Miss Tickle was in the room, and might have been said to be in the way, were it not that a little temporary relief was felt by Mr. Prosper to be a comfort. Miss Tickle was, at any rate, twenty years older than Miss Thoroughbung, and was of all slaves at the same time the humblest and the most irritating. She never asked for anything, but was always painting the picture of her own deserts. "'I hope to have the pleasure of seeing Miss Tickle quite well,' said the squire, as soon as he had paid his first compliments to the lady of his love. "'Thank you, Mr. Prosper. Pretty well. My anxiety is all for Matilda.' Matilda had been Matilda to her since she had been a little girl and Miss Tickle was not going now to drop the advantage which the old intimacy gave her. I trust there is no cause for it. Well, I'm not so sure. She coughed a little last night and would not eat her supper. We always do have a little supper. A despatched crab it was, and when she would not eat it, I knew there was something wrong. Nonsense, what a fuss you make. Well, Mr. Prosper, have you seen your nephew yet? No, Miss Thoroughbung. nor do I intend to see him. The young man has disgraced himself. Dear, dear, how sad. Young men do disgrace themselves, I fear, very often, said Miss Tickle. We won't talk about it, if you please, because it is a family affair. Oh, no, said Miss Thoroughbung. At least not as yet. It may be but never mind, I would not wish to be premature in anything. I am always telling Matilda so. She is so impulsive. But as you may have matters of business, Mr. Prosper, on which to speak to Miss Thoroughbung, I will retire. It is very thoughtful on your part, Miss Tickle. Then Miss Tickle retired, from which it may be surmised that the probable circumstances of the interview had been already discussed between the ladies. Mr. Prosper drew a long breath and sighed audibly as soon as he was alone with the object of his affections. He wondered whether men were ever bright and jolly in such circumstances. He sighed again, and then he began, Miss Thoroughbung, Mr. Prosper. All the prepared words had flown from his memory. He could not even bethink himself how he ought to begin, and unfortunately so much must depend upon manner. But the property was unembarrassed, and Miss Thoroughbung thought it probable that she might be allowed to do what she would with her own money. She had turned it all over to the right and to the left, and she was quite minded to accept him. With this view, she had told Miss Tickle to leave the room, and she now felt that she was bound to give the gentleman what help might be in her power. "'Oh, Miss Thoroughbung," he said. "'Mr. Prosper,' You and I are such good friends that... 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 Yes, indeed, you can have no more true friend than I am, that even Miss Tickle. Oh, bother, Miss Tickle. Miss Tickle is very well. Exactly so. Miss Tickle is very well, a most estimable person. We'll leave her alone just at present. Yes, certainly. We had better leave her alone in our present conversation not but what I have a strong regard for her. Mr. Prosper had surely not thought of the opening he might be giving as to a future career for Miss Tickle by such an assertion. So have I for the matter of that, but we'll drop her just now. Then she paused, but he paused also. You have come over to Buntingford today, probably in order that you might congratulate them at the brewery on the marriage with one of your family then mr prosper frowned but she did not care for his frowning it will not be a bad match for the young lady as joshua is fairly steady and the brewery is worth money i could have wished him a better brother-in-law said the lover who was taken away from the consideration of his love by the allusion to the ansleys he had thought of all that and in the dearth of fitting objects of affection had resolved to endure the drawback of the connection. But it had, for a while, weighed very heavily with him, so that, had the twenty-five thousand pounds been twenty thousand pounds, he might have taken himself to Miss Puffle, who lived near Saffron Walden, and who would own Snickham Manor when her father died. The property was said to be involved, and Miss Puffle was certainly forty-eight. As an heir was the great desideratum, he had resolved that Matilda Thorobung should be the lady, in spite of the evils attending the new connection. He did feel that, in throwing over Harry, he would have to abandon all the Annesleys, and to draw a line between himself with Miss Thorobung and the whole family of the Thorobungs generally. "'You mustn't be too bitter against poor Molly,' said Miss Thoroughbung. "'Mr. Prosper did not like to be called bitter, "'and in spite of the importance of the occasion, "'could not but show that he did not like it. "'I don't think that we need talk about it.' "'Oh, dear, no. "'Kate and Miss Tickle need neither of them be talked about.' "'Mr. Prosper disliked all familiarity, "'and especially that of being laughed at, "'but Miss Thoroughbung did laugh,' So he drew himself up and dangled his glove more slowly than before. Then you are not going on to congratulate them at the brewery? Certainly not. I did not know. My purpose carries me no farther than Marmaduke Lodge. I have no desire to see anyone today besides Miss Thoroughbung. That is a compliment. Then his memory suddenly brought back to him one of his composed sentences. In beholding Miss Thorobung, I behold her on whom I hope I may depend for all the future happiness of my life. He did feel that it had come in the right place. It had been intended to be said immediately after her acceptance of him, but it did very well where it was. It expressed, as he assured himself, the feelings of his heart and must draw from her some declaration of hers. "'Goodness gracious me, Mr. Prosper!' This sort of coyness was to have been expected, and he therefore continued with another portion of his prepared words, which now came glibly enough to him. But it was a previous portion. It was all the same to Miss Thoroughbung as it declared plainly the gentleman's intention. "'If I can induce you to listen to me favorably,' I shall say of myself that I am the happiest gentleman in Hertfordshire. Oh, Mr. Prosper, my purpose is to lay at your feet my hand, my heart, and the lands of Buston. Here he was again going backward, but it did not much matter now in what sequence the words were said. The offer had been thoroughly completed, and was thoroughly understood. A lady, Mr. Prosper, has to think of these things, said Miss Thoroughbung. "'Of course I would not wish to hurry you prematurely "'to any declaration of your affections. "'But there are other considerations, Mr. Prosper. "'You know about my property?' "'Nothing particularly. "'It has not been a matter of consideration with me.' "'This he said with some slight air of offence. "'He was a gentleman, whereas Miss Thoroughbung was hardly a lady. "'Matter of consideration her money, of course, had been.' how should he not consider it? But he was aware that he ought not to rush on that subject, but should leave it to the arrangement of lawyers expressing his own views through her own lawyer. To her, it was the thing of the most importance, and she had no feelings which induced her to be silent on a matter so near to her. She rushed. But it has to be considered, Mr. Prosper. It is all my own, and comes to very nearly one thousand a year." I think it is nine hundred and seventy-two pounds, six shillings and eightpence. Of course, when there is so much money, it would have to be tied up somehow. Mr. Prosper was undoubtedly disgusted, and if he could have receded at this moment, would have transferred his affections to Miss Puffle. Of course you understand that. She had not accepted him as yet, nor said a word of her regard for him. All that went, it seemed, as a matter of no importance whatever. He had been standing for the last few minutes, and now he remained standing and looking at her. They were both silent, so that he was obliged to speak. I understand that between a lady and gentleman, so circumstanced there should be a settlement. Just so. I also have some property, said Mr. Prosper, with a touch of pride in his tone. Of course you have. Goodness gracious me, why else would you come? You have got Bustin, which I suppose is two thousand a year. At any rate, it has that name, but it isn't your own. Not my own? Well, no, you couldn't leave it to your widow, so that she might give it to anyone she pleased when you were gone. Here the gentleman frowned very darkly, and thought that, after all, Miss Puffle would be the woman for him. "'All that has to be considered, and it makes Buston not exactly your own. "'If I were to have a daughter, she wouldn't have it.' "'No, not a daughter,' said Mr. Prosper, "'still wondering at the thorough knowledge of the business in hand displayed by the lady. "'Oh, if it were to be a son, that would be all right, "'and then my money would go to the younger children, "'divided equally between the boys and girls.' Mr. Prosper shook his head as he found himself suddenly provided with so plentiful and thriving a family. That, I suppose, would be the way of the settlement, together with a certain income out of Buston set apart for my use. It ought to be considered that I should have to provide a house to live in. This belongs to my brother, and I pay him forty pounds a year for it. It should be something better than this. My dear Miss Thoroughbung, the lawyer would do all that. There did come upon him an idea that she, with her aptitude for business, would not be altogether a bad helpmate. The lawyers are very well, but in a transaction of this kind, there is nothing like the principals understanding each other. Young women are always robbed when their money is left altogether to the gentleman. Robbed? Don't suppose I mean you, Mr. Prosper, and the robbery I mean is not considered disgraceful at all. The gentlemen I mean are the fathers and the brothers and the uncles and the lawyers, and they intend to do right after the custom of their fathers and uncles, but the woman's rights are coming up. I hate women's rights. Nevertheless, they are coming up. A young woman doesn't get taken in as she used to do, I don't mean any offence, you know. This was said in reply to Mr. Prosper's repeated frown. Since women's rights have come up, a young woman is better able to fight her own battle. Mr. Prosper was willing to admit that Miss Thoroughbung was fair, but she was fat also and at least forty. There was hardly need that she should refer so often to her own unprotected youth. I should like to have the spending of my own income, Mr. Prosper. That's a fact. Oh, indeed? Yes, I should. I shouldn't care to have to go to my husband if I wanted to buy a pair of stockings. An allowance, I should say. And that should be my own income. Nothing to go to the house? Oh, yes. There might be certain things which I might agree to pay for. A pair of ponies I should like i always keep a carriage and a pair of horses. But the ponies would be my lookout. I shouldn't mind paying for my own maid and the champagne and my clothes, of course, and the fishmonger's bill. There would be Miss Tickle, too. You said you would like Miss Tickle. I should have to pay for her. That would be about enough, I think. Mr. Prosper was thoroughly disgusted but when he left Marmaduke Lodge, he had not said a word as to withdrawing from his offer. She declared that she would put her terms into writing and give them to her lawyer, who would communicate with Mr. Gray. Mr. Prosper was surprised to find that she knew the name of his lawyer, who was, in truth, our old friend. And then, while he was still hesitating, she astounded, they shocked him by her mode of ending the conference. She got up and, throwing her arms around his neck, kissed him most affectionately. After that, there was no retreating for Mr. Prosper, no immediate mode of retreat at all events. He could only back out of the room and get into his carriage and be carried home as quickly as possible. End of chapter 26 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina